Welcome to the Knit British Podcast. On this journey, exploring connections of localness in wool and knitting from sheep to skein, I am your host, Louise Scully. Welcome to episode 111 of the Knit British podcast. Today we have an interview and deep dive into the world of machine knitting with Mika Komos. Many of you will know Mika as one half of the duo behind the incredible Edinburgh Yarn Festival. Uh, But you may not also know, in fact I'm sure you don't know, for the majority of you listening, that she's also really lit up about knitting machines and what you can do with them. The first I knew about Mika uh, being a machine knitter was a couple of Christmases ago. Uh, she gave me a lovely dog tooth fairy or cowl that she'd made and she told me that she had this growing collection of machines. Uh, skip forward and last year she attended a summer school at Heriot Watt University down in Gal Shields and I think that is when my friend became truly enthusiastic about creating fabric and designs on machines and also wanting more people to know about knitting machines and the potential there. Back in August I visited Mika with my microphone. Um, We have spoken a lot about getting, doing an episode for the podcast um, about machine knitting for a number of reasons. I hadn't visited Mika for a little while, so when I came around to record, I could see that she'd added a machine knitting nook in one half of her living room. She had um, three tables set up with three machines and a computer hooked up to one of them. To me, it looked a bit like Bruno Martelli's amazing three piano set up from the Kids from Fame, if you can remember the Kids from Fame, that is. Um, but uh, he was a bit of a piano maestro and Mika definitely is a machine knitting a maestra uh, <laughs> we as I said we chatted about doing a piece for the podcast about knitting machines a few times I grew up with a knitting machine in our house uh, and also in my grandparents house I fell asleep to the rip 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 sound many nights And actually, there's another podcast to be made about the history of domestic machine knitting and the harsh realities that it can present if you're knitting for um, to supplement your family income. And I touched lightly about that on a blog post I wrote a few years ago called The Work They Say Is Mine. I will put a link to that in the show notes for this episode at knitbritish.net slash ep hyphen 111. As well as my sort of remembering uh, domestic knit machines, I think it's also time to demystify machine knitting for the 21st century too. And that's something that we really wanted to speak about today because there are a lot of things you hear when people talk about machine knitting. It's not handmade or somehow it's seen as not requiring skill. Uh, So... Those are definitely things that Mika wanted to to talk about on the podcast. Uh, This is a long episode. It's a deep dive. Uh, Mika uh, talks about how she got into 
machine knitting. Um, she talks about how creating fabric on the machine was like almost the next logical level for her, the next step from her years of hand knitting. Um, and she takes us through her own beginnings with machines and teaches us what she's learned. We talk about different machine types. We talk about choosing yarn for knitting machines. We talk about finding resources uh, and talk about the fact that machine knitting can occupy a very different headspace, uh, but which can yield results that you may have never achieved in hand knitting. We talk about the differences between hand knitting and machine knitting, the things that are easy to achieve with one take particular skill and time with machine knitting and I think that some of you might be thinking great let me hear all about knitting machines but I think there's probably a, a good proportion of you who are going hmm I'm not really interested in that and you might be thinking again machine knitting isn't skillful or machine knitting is not hand making or machine knitting is cheating and I would ask those listeners to listen anyway, because I learned so much uh, in the a couple of hours that I was at Mika's. It, it was just fascinating to hear someone, as it always is, um, be enthusiastic about their craft. And I know that that is something that we can all get on board with. This is definitely about demystifying this craft and you will definitely find that Mika's enthusiasm is infectious. So do you want to start by introducing yourself? I'm Mika and I'm a machine knitter. I'm also one half of the organisers of the Edinburgh Yarn Festival, which is really what I do for my work. And I'm a passionate hand knitter, but I also love machine knitting. And that's a bit of a, yes, a bit of my, um, it's a bit of a dark art. And I'm trying to convince people that it's a fantastic thing and it's just fun and it's not doing things automatically it's not um, taking shortcuts it's just a fantastic way of using hand knitting skills and combining them with a machine and just making wonderful things and it's a bit of a you said it's a dark art there but it is a bit of a there's a bit not a cloud but there is sort of a question mark over machine knitting a little bit in with hand knitters, do you, would you say? Yeah, I think there is. And I think it's very divided. So there's some people really excited when you start to talk about machines and they say, oh, I've got one in the attic or I've got one handed down or I bought one uh, in a cardboard sale and I haven't done anything with it. But then there's also, a, you know, a large proportion of knitters who think that a machine does things automatically and it's like cheating. Yes, this is, so a, yes. You think you do it by machine, which means your end product is no longer as valuable. Do you want to say a little bit about how you got into machine knitting and where where your sort of hand knitting is at and how you yeah. came into machine knitting? I think that's that's a good way of putting it because I would say um my where I'm with my hand knitting is it really is my passion. It will always be one of my 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 most favourite things to do. I love hand knitting and I feel um I will always do it. But I'm at a point where I feel like I want to experiment more with my own creativity rather than just following pattern. And I feel that machines are a great way to quickly try out things mm -hmm. without spending a very long time and then failing and then losing interest in it. So what I'm talking about with a machine, you can quickly 
make a swatch, you can create a Fair Isle swatch, for example, you can do little lace swatches, you can see how colors work together, you could start and design a sweater, and if it doesn't quite work as you want to, you're not spending weeks, you're just spending maybe a couple of days or three or four days. So like magic. that's it. But I think where I started off was um, I saw, I think it was before the first Edinburgh Yarn Festival at the Corn Exchange. We had a couple of exhibitors who are local. So Fiona Daly was a weaver and she was sharing a studio with Kate Winslow, I think her name was. I can't quite remember. Um, but she was working with the two machines and she was a fashion designer basically and we visited her at her studio and I was fascinated by the fact that she could create fabric on the machine with wool and I thought oh I'd love to have a go at this but I had no idea where to start and for a long time it was just sort of uh, an idea I had in my head I had no idea about the machines didn't know where to start and then uh, it just developed from there so I found a machine on Gumtree, <laughs> I bought it, I had no idea what I had on my hands. It was very frustrating initially because I didn't have the right guidance and the machine wasn't quite in the right state of repair. So for me, it was a very steep learning curve just because I didn't really have any external help and I didn't really seek external help either. Mm. Whereas I hope that with people, you know, people if we can get people an idea that there is actually quite a help out there if you get a machine and where to get it and that is a fantastic hobby and if you haven't it already machining is just can just be an additional tool in your in your sort of arsenal in your yeah. arsenal exactly so you can do things with it and i think lots of people say that um it doesn't matter if you're handed or not when you start to learn a machine work with a machine and to some degree I would agree however I think being a hand knitter and understanding the anatomy of knitted fabric will really help somebody starting off on a machine because you will always drop something you need to rehang stitches you understand as a knitter how fabric behaves that you create what the impact of gauge and tension is so I feel like you have a massive advantage as a hand knitter already. It's quite exciting because already I'm sort of thinking about the potential. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's all about the potential. That's exactly it. Because as well as the potential, there's also thinking about what the machine cannot do. Because as a hand knitter, you're, you, your hands are the ultimate flexible tool. You can do anything. You can sort of, you know, you design and plan. You can knit and around you can manipulate stitches as you go along so you can do a lot of things when you use a machine you have to think in terms of um, assembly so the majority of things you will do on a domestic knitting machine will be knitted flat mm -hmm. there are ribbers as a double so making your single bed machine a double ribber that's just a thing we're looking at here so it's yeah. like a, a separate bed a needle bed but it, it has a small carriage on it so in theory you can knit tubes that's how, as you know, many people in Shetland used to knit the sweater bodies yes. yeah, all the way up. And then the yoke would be knit by hand. Mm -hmm. So it's very useful for that. Um, but when it gets to Fair Isle or you want to make something with the design in terms of a pattern on your main fabric, you would really approach everything from a seaming point of view. So Okay. You really learn a lot <laughs> about proper finishing because that's something 
I hadn't really appreciated because you can make fabric quite quickly on the machine, but how your project comes out at the end of it really depends on how good you are at the finishing bit because you will have to do a lot of it because you always have a sweater front and a sweater back. You need to assemble. There's a lot of assembly. A sleeve is not flat. It needs to be assembled. So you cannot make a raglan sweater on a machine mm -hmm. as in already you know fully fully fashioned you need to make the front and the back and the sleeves and you, you seam it together so so for all of the people who have just dropped off who've gone oh but i only knit seamless <laughs> I know. what are the what are the ways to get people well i think what the way to think about it is the time you're saving on these endless acres of stockinette invested on doing a nice finish yeah so you have to change your thinking because the thing that is very attractive, I mean, if you look behind, I showed you earlier. Yeah. I'm making a sweater front at the moment, and uh, it's an all over, it's a herringbone design, but it's two colors. And I've knitted the entire front, it's almost finished. I just, I'm just dealing with the neck shaping. Mm. I've knit this uh, in an hour. So, That's ridiculous. I mean, you could never do this. So, I'm no. saving this, I'm trying something out. Even if I'm not entirely happy with it, I could frog it and start mm -hmm. again. But, so that means I will probably finish the front today. I will make the back tomorrow. And then probably the day after I make the sleeves. And then I block it and then I assemble it. So that means realistically with life getting in the way, me not doing this full time, I can make a feral sweater in a week. But we're talking all over a pattern. So that's physically really impossible for the normal average working person i think that's convinced yeah. quite a few people to yeah. learn how to yeah. seam <laughs> so, exactly so then you think okay so you block it and yeah you spend a couple of evenings seaming but then you have a wonderful sweater that you may have designed yourself you can make your own designs your own feral designs so i think it matters. makes i think it would make people rethink um about a uh, fit as well because a seamed sweater has a lot more structure than something that if we're used to it seamlessly yes it, not maybe not necessarily a lot more structure, but it's, it gives a different structure to a garment. So it, maybe it's a, it. It does, but you can also very easily um, add techniques like short rows. So to the sweater front, I I mean at the moment I'm shaping um, the shoulder pieces with short rows here. Mm -hmm. So you can combine these things. So short rows um, are a total possibility. You can create fully shaped uh, items. Yes, but you have to seam. Yeah. You have to seam it, unless you're doing a, a plain knitted, just stockinette, plain stockinette tube, you knit it up. Even then you could introduce shaping with a ribber, but, you know, it would be a bit cumbersome to do that. But it's quite a nice dimension of of um, making your own garments, whether handmade or machine made, that then you can still have all that hand added um, finishing and... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and there are many, many things you can do. I mean, you can uh, add the ribbing by hand, for example. Lots mm. of people do this. I've oh, learned how to do, use a ribber now, so I'm really happy with that because that means I made, again, if you turn around, I've got this ribbing at the bottom. I made this in half an hour. You know, you cast <laughs> on and you've got uh, three inches of beautiful ribbing produced and you just start, you know, it's you're saving time in a way that enables you to spend more time on other things. Mm. So 
even though this seems all relatively quick, the majority of the time you spend is really in the planning. Because yeah. this is where you think, oh, what, what do I want to do? You need to calculate. So it's a lot of maths. And unless you've got a program, and I'm using a program for my electronic machine here called Design on it, where I can plot out a shape mm-hmm. based on, there's some standard uh, basic designs in there, which I can amend, but it will basically calculate things for me, which is fantastic. All you do is you do a swatch, you block it, you measure it, you enter those details into that program, and it will calculate how much you need for that shape, how you cast on, where you decrease and increase. That's for the electronic machine. Mm-hmm. If you work with um, um, a mechanical machine, that is where the needle beds, the needles aren't controlled electronically. Uh, you can also link this up with a program like that, but it's a bit more cumbersome. So the most okay. machines out there will be standard gauge uh, mechanical machines. Okay, well, we'll what we're going to do is we're going to sort of work through quite a few steps in... For anyone who's interested in getting into machine knitting and the kind of things that um, you'll need to know, um, Mika's going to impart all of that wisdom. Yes. <laughs> so I think what we're going to do is uh, just I'll show you um, in, a, in a minute how to cast on, yes. just how it looks like and how it sounds. So listeners can actually hear how a knitting machine sounds. Mm. Because one of the things is obviously um, it's not really portable. You've got to do it at <laughs> It's quite a beast. And it's also quite loud. So even if you're sitting at home in front of the television with your loved one, they wouldn't they won't appreciate you doing this. So I mean you see my setup here. Yes. One half of our lounge is a lounge. Yeah. And the nook at the back is my machine room as we remember. <laughs> so I tend to only do this when I'm on my own, just because if you know my partner sits on a sofa, he wants to watch something, he's not gonna enjoy it. This yeah. <laughs> So, but I think just quickly before we actually cast something on, I think it's quite interesting to say that one of the biggest challenges for people to get into this is actually where do I get a machine? Yeah. And, uh, you know, how how do I actually get started? How do I get help? And how do I get a machine that actually works? So one thing to say is that the only domestic maker of knitting machines is now Silver Reed. Ah. Um, they bought the Knitmaster brand mm-hmm. some time ago. I can't quite remember how long, but that's the only brand of domestic knitting machines that's currently still produced. Are they called Viscount in the US? Yes, Silver Viscount. I think sometimes you, you see them online and they've got a UK presence and you can buy them through specific retailers here in the UK. There's something called Metropolitan Machine Knitting in Manchester. There is a, in Somerset, there is a dealer um, called Andy Knits. So they sell these machines from new. Okay. Um, and you can get all the accessories to go with it. So that's the only brand that you can currently go out and buy from new. From and, new. Yeah, and it comes in a box and it's got everything in it. And uh, we get to that later. But that's yeah. a frustration way, fr- fr- frustration free way yeah. <laughs> of you're limiting the frustration. I should, I should say there will be plenty of frustration initially. <laughs> <laughs> Because I guess yeah, that yeah. people will be tempted to do what you did and yeah. go into Gumtree uh, and try and find yeah. second-hand ones yeah. and think that you can probably yeah. get going with that. If you have plenty of time, then that's fine. But really, there's so many groups online. There's a, mach- a fantastic group on uh, Ravelry called Machine Knitters. That's ah. it. It's got about 9,000 or 8,000 members. You wow. throw a question in there about something, super helpful people. There are groups on Facebook. 
I'm very sure there are other forums as well where you can find help. But I just felt I went for it and I learned a lot along the way. Whereas I should have probably really sought advice and yeah, know, somebody tell me actually don't buy this, buy this, or try this. So um, yeah, so I bought a machine on Gumtree, got started with it. It wasn't really the right thing for me at the time it needs some repair but anyway we are where we are so if i can give any advice for anybody if you see a machine online for sale or you know somebody who has one for sale uh, via ebay or on gumtree or any other on the internet or maybe a neighbor ask someone rather than say look I've, I've seen this this model is it worth it maybe a couple of pictures and have a look at it but Really, there can be, because of the age of these machines, a lot of stuff can go wrong yeah. initially. So it's worth knowing what you buy and seeking some help. There's also the UK Guild of Machine Interests. They are very helpful. They've got 10 of local groups. Mm -hmm. And they can almost always get you in touch with uh, a local group or community. Not necessarily in your neighbourhood, but okay. maybe in your county. Or if you're lucky in your... Um, <laughs> Scotland's got quite a few... Uh, there are a couple of groups here. I think there's one in uh, Silvernose, yeah. Oh, yes, Silvernose. Um, they, they meet uh, every second Tuesday, I think. And they've got a wealth of knowledge. But I think it's really worth getting in touch with the Guild. Just yeah. checking if there's a, a, local, a group. local group that can maybe help as well. In terms of publications, there isn't really that much around. There's one monthly magazine, which is fairly, you know, is aimed at a different type of knitter. Mm. I don't feel it really appeals to me, but... Yeah, okay that's it so yeah so i worked my way through a number of machines i puzzled together information from the internet and then just got started and <laughs> ended up where i am so i now have and what we're working on at the moment now or what, we, what we're about to cast on on is an sk280 this is a silverite machine it's a 24 stitch punch card machine it's got 200 needles and the needle pitch is 4.5 millimeter okay so that is this pitch, this is the, the, the gauge referred to as one of the most common machines. It's referred to as standard gauge. It does take um, heavy lace, fingering weight, and thin decay, even though I've never really been successful with the decay. I mm -hmm. think it depends a little bit. So it's mostly yarn on cones. And uh, yeah, I think we just get started and cast a few stitches on. Yeah? Just so you can see what this can do. <laughs> So as you can see, one of the um, things that that helps enormously when you when you knit is that you the needles are numbered, so you can always see where you are. So if oh, somebody yeah. says cast on twenty stitches or forty, I'm going to do forty, you know. You count them out like this. So the the yarn is fed through a tension unit. It looks a bit like a giant insect. It does. <laughs> With sort of feelers that's attached to the bed of the machine. And I'm doing a quick E wrap around the needle. So it's basically just like writing an E around the extended needles oh, yeah. that are pushed out. So that's relatively quick. And that creates a closed edge at the bottom of the swatch I'm making. And what is the wool that you're using? This is just some scrap yarn somebody gave me. I'm pretty sure maybe Kathy, Stitch Mastery, oh, yes, probably <laughs> passed this on to me at some point. So I experiment a lot with yarn 
that I'm not really that fond of when I'm trying things out. Or you do use an awful lot of waste yarn mm -hmm. with machine knitting because very often you want a provisional cast on because you may take the knitting off and maybe attach it, reattach it, do something else at the end of it. So that's actually quite a common thing. Or you do a welt mm -hmm. instead of a ribbing, in which case you would also want a provisional cast on. So yeah, it's a lot of waste knitting. So I'm about to move the carriage across to actually create the first row of knitting, but it's worth pointing out that like with your knitting, you have you want to control the tension in some way. Mm -hmm. um, you only have one needle size here and the distance of the needles to some degree determines what you can knit. So that's already, you're, you're limited by that. Fixed. Yeah. But you do have a dial on the carriage and there's also a dial on um, the tension mast mm -hmm. where you can control how quickly the yarn is fed through from the cone. It's very important that the yarn is wound correctly so you can knit easily from a cone or when you have a cake mm -hmm. you know like we all yeah. have yarn winders so it's fine but putting a ball of yarn in a bowl and letting it bounce around actually doesn't work um i've tried lots of that you feel it would need to be sort of yeah. tension from the from the base so yeah. a corner cake would make it does, far more sense yes exactly it really doesn't like it so it needs to be coming off freely mm -hmm. off a cake or a cone of yeah. yarn that's really important to make it work so I'm just going to push this carriage across and hope that the first row is going to form correctly. I also have a row counter on this, so which I'm going to send to zero. Handy. So you know always where you are. So between the row counter and um, the little strip with the numbers on the needle bed, you really always know how much you've knit and where you are mm -hmm. if you make decreases and increase. It's going to tension you a little bit. Right, I'm just going to push this across. So that's the first row and that sounded a bit rough and that's what it is, it's quite tight. And for the first few rows, I'm not, I, there isn't enough yarn here yet for me to hang any weights on it. I'm just going to push the needles all the way out. That's much easier. Second row. And I'm probably going to do this for sort of five, six rows until I have enough fabric created that I can actually hang some weight. On. So you're just using your fingers to... A row of gate, gate pegs in front of the needle bed and I'm pushing the needle butts. These are needle butts, they're called. Mm -hmm. um, and push the needles out just for the first few rows so you can, can see, see already that. yeah stockinettes forming here yeah but what i need to do in order to not have to do this is hang some weights and for that i need just sort of just Love an inch yeah. actually at this point i think i can just do the last one to be fine right so i have about maybe half an inch yeah. now and I've got enough fabric now so I can hang a couple of weights. These are called claw weights for obvious reasons. They look like little claws. They do. And they hook nicely into your fabric. And that's something as a hand knitter initially that I found really... I just thought, oh, I can't do this. I can't hook anything in the fabric. Because <laughs> you feel like you're going to ruin yes, it somehow or pull I at know, it. Exactly. But that's not really the case. The 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 claws are really useful. They they're really designed not to damage the yeah, fabric. They're... 
But very often you also hook them into waste fabric anyway. Yeah. So that really depends. But I'm really and they look like they're particularly shaped so that they're they're not gonna pull down too yeah. much on them. They're no, look, they're they're yeah. really quite uh, quite yeah. easy. So right, so I've got half an inch of fabric on there. Mm-hmm. So obviously I could just go and make a lengthy, very long strip very quickly if you yeah. want to have a look. So yeah. within these few seconds, we now have, I don't know, inch, an inch and a half, mm-hmm. or yeah. So that goes very quickly. Yeah. So I could just, if I just wanted a big rectangle, I could just carry on. So this is if you wanted to make a stripy baby blanket, for example, with a self-striping yarn, that's very quickly done. Yeah. But uh, you're restricted in this case at the moment to 200 needles, 200 mm-hmm. stitches. Um, but yeah, that would, you can make very quickly big yeah. pieces of fabric. So there's nothing really uh, automatic about machine knitting. You need to be on top of every roll because even though it sounded quite quick, me making yeah. this fabric, you get to a point, especially if it's wider, where needles could jump off. So you constantly need to make sure that the, the stitches are actually properly formed, that your tension is right, that the yarn runs freely, that everything's okay. And if you want to manipulate the fabric, you either start to use a punch card, so just say if I wanted a pattern on this, or I do something manually. And there are any machine tends to come with a whole lot of um, tools. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a prong tool. It's a one. Just uh, it's got like a one a needle. needle. Yeah, it does. So it's like a, it's a darning needle that's been stuck with a sharp side into a plastic shaft so you really what you have is the eye of mm-hmm. the needle and you can for example decrease so i could say all oh, right i no longer want 40 stitches i want 39 or maybe 38 so on one side i'm simply going to take one stitch to and uh, take it in so in this case st- uh, in this case stitch 40 mm-hmm. has been put onto stitch 39 onto the same needle really quickly really that, quickly yeah. and i do that on the other side so stitch one is put onto stitch two and i now have a total of 38 stitches on the needles rather yeah. than 40 and all i do after i've done this is i've run the carriage across and it will have decreased and that one stitches yeah yeah so obviously that's a very primitive way of decreasing because ideally what you would probably want is it's called a fully fashioned decrease which means you're lifting two or three stitches so in this case my preferred method is three stitches because it gives a different optic on the other side oh yeah because the decrease is moved inside um towards the center of the fabric so you lift all of these mm-hmm Wow. And you're still only decreasing decreasing by one stitch, mm-hmm. but you're lifting the outermost three stitches and just moving it across one. Mm-hmm. So your decrease happens between the third and the fourth needle, giving you a, ro- a neat row at the side. Yes. Yeah. So that's called a fully fashioned decrease. So that's a way of shaping fabric. So if you would make it, would be making a sleeve, for example, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's how you would decrease, decrease or increase because mm-hmm. you typically start from the bottom of a sleeve and then you sort of knit up. Mm-hmm. The same way you can increase. So rather than 
putting one stitch out because there are very there's so many ways of increasing you can just bring another needle into working position and it across and you almost get sort of like a t oh yeah t-shaped um addition you know it just yes. grows out and i can just keep going like this for every row very easy to, that's to easy. create triangles yeah. like that. You start with one in the middle, you see it just yes. out, yeah? yeah. So it's very easy to shape in a primitive way without much intervention mm -hmm. if all that matters is the overall shape and you want, you want to use it like that. But I think what already you've shown for anyone who thinks that machine knitting is cheating and is, um, you know, what you make is totally machine manufactured, your hands are working all the time all the time all the time yeah in, in different areas of of the machine and on the fabric you're creating and the yarn that's feeding into it to manipulate yeah. and make and you see the weights as well so yeah. at the moment i only have two weights on this fabric that's hanging off this needle bed they constantly need to move be moved up mm -hmm. close to the edge to make sure that the tension is correct because these yeah. weights play a role in the overall tension because without the weights, the fabric would just jump, jump off. off. Mm -hmm. So and you need to make sure that you carry these weights up all the time. Mm -hmm. The bigger your piece of fabric is, the more weight you want, maybe something in the middle at some point. Yeah. And that way, you can then just carry on stuff. So, yeah, but it's, there's a lot of... Depending on what you make, there's a lot of manipulation possible and often necessary. Yeah. But like you say, it's exactly that. There's... No such thing as just mindlessly pushing the catch back and forward. No. Um, that just doesn't happen. I mean, even though the jumper uh, front I've got, we've got behind us here, even though they are quite simple decreases at the side, there's a bit of, it's a bit fiddly. You have to have yeah. patience for it, I guess. But the possibilities of quickly making something are quite cool. So I think, I don't know if you've seen this, I've made these mittens. And that's a great way of using your swatches, actually. <laughs> so this yeah, is a It's a simple pair of fingerless mittens, and in this case, they're constructed out of sort of a, a rectangular, squarish mm -hmm. swatch. Really, all I did was I made, in addition, a little triangle with the welted edge. Yes, for the thumb. Yeah, and then I've sewed it up. That's amazing. That's so quick. Yeah. So this exactly. So I mean, there are differences. I mean, if I look at it from a hand knitting point of view, I'm looking at the seam and I'm cringing because it, <laughs> it's not perfect. Uh, you know, as a hand knitter, you knit this in the round, and the repeat of your pattern would be perfect. You wouldn't have this seam, and you just move out. It's a different type of thing. But I made these in an afternoon. Yeah. So do you? Did you ever make a pair of feral no, fingerless no. mittens in an afternoon? So that's exactly it. So if you want to make. It's great for to learn the necessary techniques to make something yes. as this because they make great gifts. They're the, fun to do. You yeah. can try things out. You could it's really, just, really go mad experimenting yeah. with, with that. That's fantastic. I know. That is great. So I'm really, this is the sort of stuff that lights me up about machine knitting. So I don't think I would necessarily have knitted these by hand, but I liked this design. It's sort of a good... Skull and crossbones, yes, <laughs> in a grello. In a grello, <laughs> and I thought, hey, I'm just, I want to try this out. I quite fancy seeing if I can make mittens that fit me properly, which they yeah. do, and I think this is a great result. I've taken notes for this, and I can now transfer what I've done here to 
you know, a different yarn, make them maybe a bit longer. Yeah. Different design, all that sort of stuff. That's so, incredible. Um, yeah, so that's what machine knitting is is great for. That's that's amazing. And such a quick, such a good example of how quickly you can yeah. create something. And not just create something, but actually go, you know, the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. How am I going to put this yeah. together? What do I need? Um, that's that's exactly it. That's very, it's a very simple little project. Yeah. And you can make a nice gift out of it. Yeah. So... Uh, still handmade. I feel this is still handmade. It is still handmade. It's got a lot of thinking in it. I had to think about how how much ribbing do I want? How should I fit? Yeah, in this I case. love that. The scope for experimenting and designing things yourself is yes. really, really makes it more possible. Yeah, without without spending a lot of time on legwork. That's exactly what it is. This is not about oh, I don't want to hand knit anymore. This is about I want to try something out, but I don't want to knit the next two weeks stockinette to see and find out if it works and lots of people now use the machines got a couple of friends who use them to basically make the sweater bodies and then go wild on the knitting the yokes yokes yeah and have real fun with that and yeah. i think if that keeps you keeps the joy of knitting for you then that's the way to go now i have to say you know for me there were times when i was quite happy to just knit a because of stocking it in front of the television no longer. It doesn't really light me up. I want a couple more interesting. Do you watch less Netflix now? <laughs> no, 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 I don't. But see, I've got a colorwork sweater there at the moment, which is very simple. It's DK. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to rip it back a couple of times because I did make mistakes. I got a bit too cocky with it. But even that, I mean, yeah, I mean, I just feel like I wouldn't knit fingering weight. Yes. stockinette sweaters anymore if I can break them up into pieces yes. so I made the boxy sweater a few years ago which I love and I'm going to make it again but on the machine because yeah. I'm thinking there's no way I want to spend five weeks that's, uh, <laughs> I, that, that's what also sells it for me yeah. is that yeah. I, I love a four ply sweater but I yeah. don't love making one I don't love knitting one yeah. especially when it's, it's using acres of stockinette yeah, and, if, and if that's process can be speeded up yeah then hurrah <laughs> i know i mean there there is it really it's like you say it's the possibilities and the freedom to be creative with your knitting yeah. and combine it because at any point you can take the knitting off and carry on by hand or yes just go crazy on short rows and yeah. just see how it works out i mean all of that's possible on the machine and you it, yeah i mean to be fair i mean I do a lot of experimenting. Mm-hmm. My ratio at the moment between actually finishing a project and just trying out how different yarns behave and sort of you've seen the swatches I've got lying there. So yes. Feral ones, they are number underneath there as oh, well as yeah. a sort of a, I've got some. <gasps> oh, that's pretty. Mm. So this is a, from Gudrun Sad Booster. This is the Buster. No. Yeah, this is what's the Buster. Booster, booster. booster Beanie. Mm-hmm. I've got... I want to make this beautiful sweater Emily Williams designed. Yes. I forgot the name now. So I'll, 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 I'll put a link to it. So I've created a punch card for this. Ah. And I've been just playing with different colours of how it would look like if I could make it. So that just wow. gives you an idea about... That's so good. And and that's such a good way of, of helping you choose your colours yes. and know what goes. Because that's something that I struggle with is... 
And some people are so great that they can look at colours and go, yeah, like, yes, this, this, this and this. But I, I struggle with that. And I, what I think looks good doesn't necessarily look good. And it takes you a long time to knit a swatch. Yeah. But on a machine, you can really, yeah. really experiment with that. Yeah. That's so incredible. what we've just done was basically just stocking it, plain stocking it on the machine. But with the 24-stitch punch card machines, you can actually, you get these sort of, uh, these blanks and you can patch yeah. holes in them accordance to in accordance to a uh, sort of design you have the limitations you have with these punch card machines and these uh, Ferrara designs are that it must fit into a 24 stitch repeat yeah but as you know there are many of the Shetland designs yeah. because you know much of that much was done on these machines there are lots of them yeah either a six or eight or three, yeah. yeah. So it's really easy to fit really stuff easy. into twenty-four stitch repeats. Yeah. So when you punch a card, the stitch is basically, or the pattern can be repeated across the needle bed with yeah. your feral design. That's amazing. Yeah. And you're gonna do that on the machine. <gasps> that's gonna yeah. be incredible. That's Just super. That's beautiful sweater. So that's super quick. Yeah. Quick to do. Just to try this out and see how it works with different colors. And that's the, and my issue with Ferrell's tension. So, uh, well, <laughs> with a machine, it's you like, both, yeah. yeah. I know. Awesome. So that can be pretty much automated, like for a sweater body, for example. Yeah. You can't, you can't, well, there are methods of knitting a Ferrell yoke as well on the machine. Um, but you require a bit more um, experience handling and transferring stitches. Uh-huh. It's basically, I've actually found a book for this, which is amazing. Uh-huh. There's a lady called Joyce Schneider. And this, this book is long out of print. I think it was made in the 80s. And it, this question gets asked quite a lot because once people got a machine and they figure out they can do feral, but then the next step is, oh, but I wanted to make a fair idea. Your well, you can't do it in the right. Yeah. But what you do is essentially you creating it in, just you create the front and the back and you seam it. That's how it used to be done. So this is basically your schematic for a yoke sweater on the machine. Wow. So you make a front, you engage the pattern you have and you always decrease in uh-huh. the non-pattern zone. So if you look oh, at yeah. this, oh no, where's your swatch? Oh, this one. Yeah. So you would do your decreases on uh, the this, yes, on the plane, mm-hmm. and just rehang. But because you need to evenly decrease, you're lifting a lot of stitches. Yeah. And that's the scary part. So I have to admit that I've tried a couple of uh, decreases across a, a bigger area and I failed. So, so that's, that's good. And yeah. this is the thing as well. Again, it's um, sort of demystifying things as well for, for people who might be interested in their only interest in getting a knit machine might be to do a circular yoke. So, what you're saying is it's not impossible, but you're going to take a lot, you've yeah. got to work up to that. And it's not circular, level. you're breaking up the circle into two parts because yeah. you will have to seam at the shoulders. Yeah. So you could make, it's almost like you're doing two crescents. Yeah. That is possible, but it's tricky. I think really that's something you might want to attempt once you're more comfortable with a machine. It's like um, hand knitting or any kind of craft. You're always working up to the next technique and the next level. And so it's like, you know, there's always something new to learn. There is. And something with machine knitting is exactly that. The 
first thing you learn when you do a machine knitting is the casting on and knitting plain. That's what you do yeah. when you knit by hand, yeah. right? But then you get to things like, how do you make ribbing? So I need to learn how to use the ripper, for yeah. example. How to use the farewell cards, the punch cards. How to hand manipulate the stitches to maybe make holes. Or yeah. You can create lace patterns yeah. by hand, by moving stitches. So you're constantly adding stuff. You can do tuck stitches automatically by using a punch card uh-huh. and manipulate the stitches. So there are so many opportunities and, and options with a machine but you need to constantly learn yeah. so I think I've been seriously dabbling in it for three years I yeah. would say and I'm now in a position that I feel like I can easily make a drop shoulder jumper and I can do welts I can do ribbing I can do a feral motif I've had you know limited success with my lace carriage <laughs> for this machine there were quite a bit of uh, quite a few frustrating moments <laughs> so i can't really say i've been successful with that but hand manipulating stitches i started to use a garter bar that's a that's a tool with which it's like it looks like a comb with which you can lift up of all or a limited number of stitches and move them along okay so if you want to make a hat for example so this is an interesting example you see often commercially made fair isle hats and if you look closely, they will always have a seam at the back. Yeah. Because even commercial machines cannot... So if you go... Somebody who makes commercial knitwear, they will not be able to do in, that in the in round. The, in the round it's flat. Through. It's always flat. So what happens is when you... A fair isle, a commercially made fair isle hat can be done... Well, the same method as on a, on a domestic knitting machine. Because you basically start with a, a flat piece, which is the circumference of your your hat yeah you knit up maybe straight for a little while but then you decrease and what tends to happen lots of the patterns have no even no shaping it they make a rectangle yeah seam it yeah and pull it together at the top and stick a pom-pom yes so when if you look closely there's no shaping no so there's no way that you can easily decrease and maintain the fair pattern that is virtually impossible because you have such a steep decrease yeah. for a hat there isn't much room for a, to, for a plain row if you've got a pattern uh, on the top of the hat, uh, hat so it's really interesting so I now I pick up a sort of commercially produced knitwear with a completely different eye I'm inspecting yeah. I'm thinking how did they do this uh, have I got this right you can yeah. only do it this way and it's a revelation really so it's incredible um, it really is um, fascinating so yeah, do you want to have a go? Do you want to push it? I want to push it. I push it. <laughs> Let's push it. That sound. I used to go to sleep listening to that sound. This is your halfway point in this episode. It's definitely time to pause and put the kettle on. found the machine I love working with this is the gauge I really like it works very well but it's a, it's been a bit of a journey arriving there and uh, the other side to machine knitting is it's just like stash acquisitions <laughs> you see a machine that goes cheap somewhere or is a different gauge or is a model that you've read about it's very hard to resist getting more so I've got currently I've got five machines <laughs> um, but as I mentioned earlier, this is a standard gauge machine, so I can use finer yarns. Now, a large proportion of my stash is DK. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, mm, 
well, so what am I going to do with that? Because obviously my whole reasoning for doing this is I can blast through my stash and it's all going to disappear <laughs> and I make these wonderful things. And uh, so I needed a machine that can cope with it. So one machine I bought, this is also a machine that's still available from new. This is a frustration-free, entry-level way of getting to grips with a knitting machine. It's fun. It looks plasticky and cheap, but this really is a fantastic tool. It's an LK150, it's a silver eater machine. These are widely available. You can buy them from Argos, you can buy them at Hobbycraft, I think. You can buy them at uh, a knitting machine dealer. Mm -hmm. um, they make them new, they come with a manual, they come with a uh, mast also. And this is a six, I think six and a half millimeter piece. Oh, okay. So this knits up to lopi. I think it's got 150 needles. Mm -hmm. So you can already tell it's the same width, but it's got fewer needles. And the needles have a plastic butt, but mm -hmm. still metal. So lots of people who teach in this industry use this machine for beginners and to show stitch manipulation because the needles are bigger. Mm -hmm. And these machines aren't as expensive and unpredictable as a bigger. As a bigger machine, exactly. So this machine, I think you can buy this new for about three hundred pounds. That's it's still a lot of money, but it's not it, as much as I thought no, it was going to be. But you can do a lot on on this. Every now and again, they pop up on eBay, and you get somebody bought it and it's still in the box, and they didn't quite <laughs> like it. They didn't think, you know, they didn't they didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. And you get one for a couple of hundred quid. I've seen it for hundred quid on eBay. It's just because they don't look, but they're quite. If you yeah you this. So they are very popular. Also, that, that, that's it. You put carriage on that, and you get and the mast on that, and that's yeah. it. That's incredible. And they there are crafty classes that use this machine. That's so good. and there's somebody called Susan Guagliomi, who's one of the sort of industry um, titans. I would say she's a real. Uh, she's a fantastic resource. She's written numerous books on hand manipulation. She swears by this machine, and one of the things about using a machine like this is you support the current industry, because as as great as it is that you find an old machine somewhere, if you we want to keep this alive, we gotta support the industry, and we've gotta buy the current machines. Yeah. Plus, you buy this; it comes with a manual. It's got all the bits and pieces. You get a lot of help. There are lots of videos out there, and it will actually give you good foundation of moving forward so this is the safest most cost-effective way and you can always sell this on so if you buy a machine like this new for 300 320 or whatever it is you will almost certainly once you're finished with it and you keep all the bits and pieces you will be able to sell this on no problem and because of the weight these are easily shipped and do they depreciate much in value or you know I would say, I think, I mean, I've got all the bits and pieces. I keep, I kept the original box. I'm confident that I could probably still sell this for about 200 pounds. That's incredible. And every now and again, these are on offer. I only paid 275 when I bought this because Hobbycraft, every now and again, they've got, they've got an offer on for this, yeah? So this enables you to get to grips with how stitches are formed. It comes with a plastic carriage. Mm -hmm. So it's got a completely different sound as well much more plasticky not as many options yeah but it's got a row counter the needles are numbered 
it's really it looks a bit like a sort of you know it, it's made for learning yes really. but saying that you can make really cool things with it i bet you can and if you can go up to sort of iron weight that's yeah. really really accessible it's accessible and you know what you can see what you're doing yeah this is really this is what you, when you start knitting hand knitting you don't start with lace weight right yeah because you want to see where you make mistakes yeah whereas here you it's really easy to see you know if you want to rehang the stitches you want to um, decrease and increase or you can make cables really easily because you see what's happening yeah. you can twist stitches so it, this is a great machine so if i if I could tell my past self <laughs> what to do, I would say, look, don't try and be clever and buy yourself any old machine that's out there. Start with the basics. What's the starting weight of yarn for that? I mean, could you go down to four ply? Or you could do four ply still, but I would say DK. DK and up. DK, it doesn't mind woollier yarns. Okay. So it's quite happy with smooth yarns. This is a really forgiving piece of equipment. It's fantastic. Wow. So really, this is really fun. Yeah. There are going to be no tears. If somebody is interested in machine knitting and really wants to create fabric and get, get into it, this is a great way. So awesome. to be honest with you, I like it so much. I don't think I'll ever sell it. Just yeah. because you can, I can teach somebody who's interested with it. Yeah. And it's portable. I can yeah. almost take it on the bus. It's quite light. Yeah. But if you compare that to how um, the other machine looks like, this has got, it's got much more metal in it. It's actually quite heavy. Yeah. It comes with a closing case on top of it. And okay. I personally would never ship a knitting machine to anybody just because I've made, made bad experiences. Because however much you do to protect it, because of the proportions of it, yeah. the length of it, there's always the chance that something's going to break. And I've found a machine which is in the garage, which I bought a couple of years ago, which was fantastic, lovely lady, and it was all insured and she sent it, but it arrived with a completely smashed um, oh. cover. And it's still functional, but it's really cured me of ever sending anything. Or And this is basically a story you hear from lots of people who deal in second-hand machines. They say, well, I send it, but it will be at your risk. Yeah. So this machine... It's also still available. This is what, what we just played on, the mm -hmm. Silverade. That's a machine, I think, that costs you about seven or eight hundred pounds okay. if you buy this. But it's a solid machine. You can get all the parts for it. You can get uh, a double bed for it still, sort of the river. That's the river, the traditional yeah. Bit. All the bits and bobs are available. You can get color changers, a lace carriage for this, for example. So lots of accessories are available. It is... A lot of money to put on the table for this. So yeah. I was lucky. This belonged to a lady whose mother had died, who bought it new, and she sold it for a hundred pounds. And I said to her, "Look, <laughs> I know how much these machines cost new." And she said, "Yeah, I know. I just want to get rid of it. It's been lying here for two years, and it was complete with everything in it. It was a complete fluke." But but and I, and I guess this one is less put awayable than the one fifty. Yes, it's 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 yeah. gonna need to be set up and, and well yeah For, because you can see already this one is on a narrow table this yeah. is a specialist machine knitting table mm -hmm. and the reason why you need a narrow table is because of the tension the machine likes the yarn to be on the floor yeah i've tried all sorts of things it wouldn't like it if you put a cone here it okay. just doesn't mind properly with this one because of the nature of the yarn you use 
you mostly have cakes anyway that mm-hmm. sit they're lower they sit on the table so this one is kitchen kitchen it's easy, table kitchen table material it's it's quick to put away it's got yeah. two clamps it's very light um it really yeah. is this is the business if you haven't got much space or you want to whip it out what you see here pretty much is I have this built up all the time because if I wouldn't, I wouldn't use it because it's, you know, you really need to set up, you need to have a bit of space for yeah. your bits and bobs because there are a lot of gubbins, as you can see. Yeah. <laughs> got a U-shape, <laughs> there are two machines on either side and I've got a, uh, my electric machine obviously needs a connection to a computer. The needle control is sort of controlled by, by that. I've got uh, my messy little desk here with my swatches and my <laughs> notes and you need something to write because that's it's like with handwriting when you discover something or you do something write it down because you will have forgotten about it <laughs> uh, after you know once you get up you get yourself a cup of tea but you need lots of things you've got lots of little tools like yeah. prongs and things to manipulate things like little picks that look like dentist oh implements. yeah they do <laughs> And you've got these little things so you can do needle selections. You may not want all the needles out. You may it's just want every second yeah. one. So there are lots and lots of bits and bobs you need. You need sort of a mini toolkit. So I always have screwdrivers because there are lots of things that need to be Tight fixed. Or, yeah. There are more options. <laughs> I know. So you have an awful lot of stuff. Weights. You need oil, that's another thing. Mm-hmm. So the machines get oiled regularly because it's metal on metal, the carriages run on a metal rail. So I oil the machines pretty much every time after I finish the project. I hoover them out and then just give them a little oil. So yeah, there's lots of stuff. <laughs> so it's not really a hobby that's suitable for um, to be taken out and put away. Yeah. Yeah, you need to be committed to yeah to having it out. You want to have a little bit of space where you can leave it out because it's get frustrating otherwise because yeah. you need a lot of practice yeah. doing stuff. But once you get going, and I feel like how how far I've come with the skills I've I've learned, I feel I'm so excited about what I can do with it. And you know, I mean, look at this. Definitely, <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> Whole front of a, a jumper. So. I made a hat we talked earlier about yes about this this is basically I mean I mean you even did property creases yes but uh, you, you see, did the de- these decreases yes. on the, on the yeah. machine well by, I'm right. the yeah. Yeah, I lifted them across but that is all possible and again the fun starts you need to calculate your decreases yeah and you could I could have put a pattern on it um, but you can make a fun you know, fun item with yes. this. And it's thinking again, thinking yeah. about the different dimensions of yeah. your knitting that when you're used to knitting things seamlessly or you're used to knitting things in the round. Yeah. How you deconstruct them. How you yeah, how you reverse sort of reverse yeah. engineer that almost. Yeah. Um but to get the same effect yeah. but on a machine. But it That's really takes like, it takes getting used to it because you're so it's a luxury of hand knitting of creating items that almost but what what you forget as a hand knitter is that the average person will not even know. They would they look at your hat and think, yeah, that's a nice hat. But yeah. they've got no idea that you're so clever that you can make this. Yes. They think, oh, this is a store bought nice hat, right? Yeah. And everybody is running around buying hats, and they will have a seam at the back. Yeah. It's just what happens if you buy a hat in the shop. So, yeah. and this is just an experiment. So now, obviously, I wasn't happy with the proportions of this, so it would need to be a bit higher a bit mm-hmm. more 
needs a bit more slouch. Yeah. <laughs> and I would probably want to make uh, maybe a design on it. But again, it took me an afternoon to make this hat. And I have something from which I can then... It's a prototype. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. And you, you can jump off from this point and say, right, okay, I made this. And now I can decide how I want to use this space, which I yeah. could embellish with a fair design for example. Yeah. Is it a different headspace? It is. For me, it's really... I love that I completely forget about everything else I need mm-hmm. to do when I'm doing this. This yeah. is a real... I haven't looked at my phone in, I don't know. Yeah. You know, we're all guilty of that. I'm yeah. terrible. And, is, and how does that headspace differ from hand knitting? Well, I feel like it engages me more in terms of the relaxation comes from thinking about what I need to do to achieve what I want to do. Whereas mm-hmm. hand knitting is almost like I follow most I mostly follow a pattern, and I'm finding it relaxing that somebody else tells me what to do. Yeah, and even though I could probably design my own sweater by hand, I rather trust people who know what they're doing and follow. It's almost like I like following blindly yeah. along what I do. I enjoy the result and if I, you know, I can rip it back if I made a mistake. But that's relaxation where I just don't even think about it. It's like moving my hands. Yeah. Whereas this is for me exciting. I'm thinking, oh, I could make this. Uh, let me try this. And I, But you really need to be engaged in it. Every now and again, I put the television on in the background and, you know, have some mindless something yeah. running there. But I'm not really, I can't really watch you anything can't, yeah, you can't that requires more. attention yeah. because I'm really focused on what I'm doing here. So... Yes, I feel like this is really me designing something when I'm on the machine and making notes and, you know, making gauge swatches and trying different things out. And they all require full attention and focus and, yeah, very engaging. And it's also very physical because you don't really... There's a lot more to think about. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who enjoys sort of thinking about the knitting in terms of creating different shapes or just making up stuff I mean this is like you have a blank canvas to to make something to paint something yeah. almost onto your knitted surface because you can just go crazy mm-hmm. with manipulating stitches or that's it it's that difference hands. between sitting following a pattern in your hand knitting that someone else has made you've got that muscle memory of how to do most stitches by hand but then even if you want to translate that same hand knitted pattern to a machine made thing it must be turning different cogs in your brain the whole time oh yeah and you don't have that same muscle memory with each row that same muscle action with each row no you don't and I'm not going to lie every now and again I've got moments where I want to throw this machine out of the window I think (laughs) I like that with all of our craft though I think that's and again when you're learning too so things happen and you think can't look at this machine anymore (laughs) it it really makes me angry but the next day I come to it I'm thinking oh I can just do this it's fresh yeah. yeah and it's that sort of thing of being able to walk away from it and come back and look at it in a different in a different way yeah for me it's almost bridging the gap between knitting and sewing because mm-hmm. thinking about i always think about my how i evolved in terms of how i like my crafts when i was a child i learned to sew and i never had the patience to finish anything it for me it took it took too long which is crazy because knitting being hand knitting being my passion and I'm quite happy to spend six weeks on a jumper yeah. or four weeks or two months or three months or whatever, sometimes two years, as you know. You know <laughs> so and now I feel like I got back into 
dressmaking and sewing as well, which I now find fantastic because I can make a jumper or an item yeah. in a weekend. Yeah. And that's at a push. You know, yeah. if it's something I've practiced a lot, I can probably make it in half a day, which is fantastic. And hand knitting to me is really very much along those lines. I feel like I don't think I'd had the patience for this when I was younger. Machine knitting. Machine knitting, yeah. exactly. But thinking about it now, I'm thinking I'm saving all this time doing the legwork and I can spend time on the design. Yeah. And I need to take time for the finishing. Yeah. And I cannot stress enough how much, how important that is. Very often the finishing will take you as long as making the thing on the machine. If you do not like mattress stitch, step away from, <laughs> from the knitting machine. It will, it will not make you happy if you're yeah. frustrated by that. But just always think in terms of, I'm saving weeks and weeks mm -hmm. and weeks of making this piece of fabric or the shape or the jumper. What, what yeah. does it matter if it takes me two or three evenings to seam yeah. the thing? Because I have a beautiful result. And isn't it just working up to that? I mean, you say when you're younger and you just thought sewing took so long and it all took so long. But I think it's that you, you would never be able to appreciate it now had you no. not have learned and taken the time. And with no. every single craft, taking more time to learn it. Right. Time. Absolutely. So I think it's a, it, it, all of it is yeah. sort of a learning. It is. It's, I mean, the, I always feel like that you, you never get over learning there's you know even if you are just always making the same thing you're still improving on that every single time you know even if you only make garter stitch scarf yeah. every single time you make scarf that you're all you're fine honing all the time yeah and you absolutely. will always find something different in that same stitch similar yeah. stitch every single time and you're improving all the time yeah and that's exactly how it is I feel like I'm having an experience with machine knitting now. I had a few years ago with hand knitting where all of a sudden you discover that you can make a cable without a cable needle. You know, yeah. you like, wow, oh my <laughs> it's God. It's ear punch Yes, moment. exactly. And you have the same with this. And this is what lights me up about it. There's still so much exciting stuff to learn and mm -hmm. really makes your life easier. You yeah. think, wow. Quick note on the garter stitch you just mentioned. Yeah. This is another thing that isn't quick on the knitting machine so you will have noticed yes you're always looking at the back side the, the wrong the side the back side exactly Sorry, the, the wrong back side, side the back side, side of the knitting <laughs> so you're looking at the reverse stockinette so that's something machinists have to learn to appreciate that you're not looking at the right side of your knitting you're looking at the wrong side this is your knitting direction the only way to create garter stitch would be to lift the stitches off Turn, turn them around, knit a row, knit another row, turn them around, and you basically, you constantly have to take the stitches off wow. and turn around. So garter stitch is one of these things that's incredibly time-consuming on a knitting machine. So it is possible, but if you are into garter stitch and that texture, it is technically possible with, uh, there's, there are some old gadgets for brother knitting machines. They're called automatic garter carriages. And they're electric carriages that sit on the bed and you can program them to basically go over stitch by stitch wow. and turn them around. They take a very long time, but it is possible. But with your basic setup, if you're getting into machine knitting and think, I love gorgeous stitch and that's what I want to do, you know, yeah. you have to manually manipulate the stitches and the rules. So it takes a long time. So don't throw away the knitting needles if no. you like garter. No, exactly. <laughs> and the other thing is, Cables, we mentioned cables earlier. There's no way to quickly automatically make a cable on a mm -hmm. machine. 
you re you need to rehang the stitches manually, move the carriage across, make sure you're doing the right you follow probably following a chart yeah. that tells you what to do, just like with your hand knitting. No shortcut for that. Alright, so let's start talking about a little bit about resources and yeah. um courses for example. So I, I earlier I talked a little bit about there are some online courses for this particular machine. And I think that's something as a beginner I found I was missing. I would have liked, and I know lots of people feel like this, you would like to have teaching materials that match the machine you have. Because the basic mechanics of the machines, even though it's the same principle, if your buttons are called something else, and you know, on these machines there are a lot of options, and from brother to knit master, you know, there are a lot of different or silvery, there are a lot of differences and you just get a bit confused. So one thing that I found helpful is for, as I said, for the plastic bed machine, which I think is a super entry-level machine, there's some craxy classes out there that are really helpful, that help you, and it comes with great material. It talks you through all steps, how to cast on, how to make stockinette, how to manipulate stuff. As in for these domestic machines, something I've discovered is that there are actually quite a lot of sort of uh, universities and textile that textile colleges. departments yeah mm -hmm. textile colleges they still offer these courses so I did a summer school course at here at Watt in Gala Shields that was last year for a week five days uh, it was every day full time learning everything from scratch how these machines work just single bed nothing to do with a ripper mm -hmm. not making a garment it was really just getting down to creating different textures, manipulating the stitches, working with different yarns. So that was fantastic because it was with, I think there were 10 or 12 other people. And it was great to see what other people are doing, how they're doing it, what questions they have. And that's a great way of doing it. And I still recommend it. There are places in different parts. It's not really something that's available in every town. Mm -hmm. But I know that there's a place in Brighton that does modern machine knitting courses. If you dig around on the internet, you actually find quite a few places. There's there are, it's a place in London called Knitworks. They do beginner courses for domestic knitting machines. Really fun. I've been there, done my, knit, my river course. There is a place in Manchester, Metropolitan Knitting. They do in-house training. They also do a correspondence course. Wow. I know lots of the, lots of, um, the businesses that deal with knitting machines. They're still quite... It's a really personal service. There's sort of often businesses you can actually call up and ask them about something. So these are people who've been in this business for a very long time and they just um, help you to go along uh, or make the right decisions yeah. in terms of training. So, yeah, but I would go back to checking maybe with the guild. I mean, even in Edinburgh, there is a, an adult education course that runs during term time, I think every Friday, as with Jill Lothian of the Scottish Machine Knitters Association. So getting in touch with a local girl just to see, hey, what's out there? Or even say, oh, I've got a couple of people who are interested. Are you interested in running something? So I think you need to be a little bit more proactive to find or initiate help yeah. than you would do with any other hobby. I mean, hand knitting is great. You find so much help online. And there's so many events. Now, for... Machine knitting, there are some shows in the UK, but they tend to be not very well publicized and they also tend to be in places that aren't necessarily that accessible. So I think there's one in October in Bournemouth, 
So that's an annual show where there's suppliers for yarn. Uh, there are people with machines demoing stuff. The guilds come together there. That's a good way of uh, getting in touch with people who are into the same craft. Yeah. There's also a show, as far as I know, in Leeds every year. But it requires a bit of digging around. Again, I cannot stress enough how helpful Ravelry is with yeah. the machine knitting group. Yeah. It's much more machine knitting. It's much more prevalent in the US still. So there's lots of stuff going on there. So I, often I see things where I think, oh, this sounds great. And I see Minneapolis. <laughs> oh. like, okay. <laughs> okay, maybe not this time. So in terms of books, lots of the books, with the exception of Susan Gorgliomi, I would say, I really, we're talking 70s and 80s. Yeah. The information is great, but we got so lazy as modern knitters. We want a schematic for everything. Yeah. We want a picture for everything. And lots of the books are textbooks. Yeah. So yeah. there are not a ton of pictures. You don't see the exact outcome. You don't see a lot of close-ups. It's basically, here's your recipe for what you need to do. You need to read everything. So I've been collecting a lot of books and a lot of um, magazines. But I have to say that I'm finding as a result that I'm really doing a lot of this stuff as in I make it up. Mm -hmm. So I see something that I like, a technique, and I try to replicate it. And hopefully at some point I'm going to make a jumper in the same way. But it's nothing really that appeals to me in terms of current books apart from Susan Gorgliomi, who really now focuses on hand-manipulating stitches. Mm-hmm. So gap in the market for new book resources? Yeah, for modern resources. modern resources, I really think so, because I think th- the challenge is really that there are no modern patterns out there at the moment. and But there are also not enough machine knitters who there's not enough of a demand there. Mm-hmm. Even the stuff I see on Ravelry, people publish the things they do, the really nice patterns are far and few between really not that much going on but yeah I think if more people get into it it needs to be more accessible machine editing needs to be more accessible again for people and I think it starts with buy new machines do not buy old machines all the time because some old brother machines are fantastic I've got an electronic brother in the garage which I love I'm not going to get rid of it the reality is that these machines, they stopped making them, I think, in the 90s. They're failing. Yeah. You, you're no longer going to... At the moment, you can still get spares. But the plastic casings are really, you know, lots of them are falling apart. They need yeah. a lot of love. And are there the same amount of um, serv- you know, servicing available for those? Yeah, again, you need to be in the right place. Mm-hmm. So we are lucky. There is David Drummond here in Edinburgh. They he he has a contact so you can drop off the machine mm-hmm. and you can get a machine service, but uh, servicing a domestic machine like this, just the bed, the main machine, will cost about hundred and fifty pounds, and that's not counting any parts. Mm-hmm. So I think I had a machine serviced once and it cost about two hundred sixty pounds by the time I got it back, but it was in beautiful working condition after that. I've sold the machine since and the person who has it loves it because it runs like clockwork. It's been completely cleaned out. The technician completely took it apart, replaced all the brittle parts because there are lots of brushes and plastic pieces everywhere and they perish over time. So if you have an old machine, it does need love. The very first thing to check though, if you ever get a second hand machine, is the sponge bar or the retainer. 
And it's basically a bar that sort of gives the tension of the needles so they don't fall apart. Uh, they don't flop around, so you can see this here. It's a metal bar that has a, a foam backing mm -hmm. and it presses down on the needle. And what it does, it keeps them stable because as you can see where we move it, all of a sudden the needles are flopsy. You yeah. know? That doesn't work. So this is the most common problem with old machines. The f very first thing anybody should change is the sponge bar. You know, otherwise you can damage the needle bed. You can buy them online, but you can also do your own fixes. So yeah. I've done one, I think, not this one, but on another old machine. I use some, uh, you know, the insulating tape, the draft excluded yeah. tape for your windows. That's the sort of stuff, it's the same yeah. sort of stuff. So you can do it yourself if you want to, because they are quite expensive. I think they cost about anything between 18 and 35 pounds. Yeah. You might want to look at that. If you buy an old machine, you don't know its origins, brothers, brother machines are great. I've got a lot of love for the brother machines and they, have, they are very, very well loved. And, uh, but they're different models of different ages and they're now really, really, really getting on. So if you get one, it's highly likely that it needs a good looking at and sort of cleaning out. And if at the very, very least, the sponge bar, but I suspect that there might be other things in the carriage that may need to be replaced. Okay. So, but it's still worth it. So if yeah. I'd find a good brother model, I'd, I'd go for it. Because you can sometimes pick them up for £100. And yeah. even if you spend 150 200 on getting it properly, professionally done and serviced, you'll have a, a, a nice machine that will last you a little while, I think. Good. Yeah, let's talk about choosing yarns. Yeah. So when I first started with this, I thought obviously my my reasoning was I'm I'm going to use all oh, my master stash of yarns, and to be honest, to some degree, machine I came to machine knitting from a place of I have so much yarn I really need to get a move on because there's no way I have enough time left in my life to knit it all. So, but in fairness, it resulted in another surge of yarn purchasing <laughs> because you need yarn wound up on a comb yeah you, you use quite a lot through experimentation and it's sort of four ply so most of the stuff i have i've got a skin of this and a skin of this so really i mean you need sweater quantities really yeah. if you want to make anything so the yarn you see flying around here is jameson's shetland and rennie's so you can phone them up um i'm not really sure I think Rennie's you can order online. You can, yeah. The cones, but Jameson's, I'm almost certain you phone them up for do. the cones. I don't think they have them all on yeah. the website. So that's something I'm going to chat on Woolwick. That's going to be a definite visit. This is like a fantastic opportunity to <laughs> fill the top box with all the cones of yarn. It's yeah. just wonderful. And it's like having this is great. There are other suppliers across the UK. There's somebody called Uppingham Yarns. Um, you get yeoman yarns, I think mm -hmm. they're called. There are a couple of mills in Yorkshire that sell stuff as well. I think it's something called Knoll Yarns. Yes, and there's um, gardeners as well. Yes. Although I would say be careful because what they call Shetland wool isn't Shetland wool. Oh, right, there's okay. Shetland style wool. That was okay. my, that's my only thing about buying on cones from Rennie's, yeah. uh, Knowles and um, yeah, Gardner's. It's exactly, it's the style. So the, the good thing though is if you mix and match, 
they are really interchangeable they work very well together every now and again i mix up yarns and i really have no idea whether it's one or the other in terms of thickness yeah. and the way it's it's created about it that's actually true i mean obviously if you care about that and you want true shetland yarn then yeah. you need really it's to a, ask it's a, uh, just a description yeah rather than actual breed yeah exactly so i guess really you you're not really initially burning through a whole lot of stuff unless you're getting this entry-level machine as i said the sort of lk150 you really can use that sort of DK yarn you've got flying around and it's fun to use. You can make maybe a cowl or a little mm -hmm. scarf or something like that. So definitely, you can definitely use this. Good projects to start with actually are, I would say, a cowl. Yeah. A double, you, all you make is a rectangular shape on your machine. You use the entire width of the needle bed and you just create a big rectangle you fold it up, you sew it up, and you just make a sort of a double cowl, which yeah. sits nicely. I've got quite a few of those. I made them. They're fun to make. I made this on the standard gauge machine, mm -hmm. just because I had Fial design on them. Another great project to start with, experiment with stuff, is a cushion cover. And one thing we haven't touched on is um, texture, because that's especially fun if you want to just try out how fabric behaves. I've been trying something with welts and pleats here. Um, so you can make really weird fabric with it. Yeah, yeah. Tucked and slip stitches and you can make quite thick fabrics. Yeah. So I thought I'm going to um, play around with that a little That's bit. That's cool. So definitely cushion covers and cows are the best way to start. Um, scarves, if you want to fold them over, I just never like the wrong side of the scarf oh yeah yeah it's okay. just not my thing but i guess you, you could double with you could double them yeah double with them and just sew them up mm -hmm. is there any wool or yarn that you haven't enjoyed and you wouldn't recommend is there any sort of fiber that isn't yeah. so good so i would stay away from any novelty yarn which has sort of lashes on it <laughs> or loops or you know if you've got no, a stash full of cancan yarn don't go to the knitting machine you won't <laughs> love it and know that some people have used more hair but i think it's got too much fiber stuff going on around yeah. so maybe sure unbrushed that. maybe rather yeah. than the brushed stuff so i think you want to keep it simple nothing that has any embellishments on it mm -hmm. like if you but, want to add something funky to your knitting there are lots of supplies of lurex threads oh yeah so you could add something again knitworks london has a beautiful selection of really unusual sort of yarns like that in, in small quantities if it's glittery or it's neon you know but it's essentially plastic thread yeah you know what it's lurex so you want to add some sparkle there are also things like i mean we lots of people use this reflective thread yeah in hats. yeah you could thread that through there's also nothing preventing you on a knitting machine to double up on a thread so if you're working with a chunkier machine or sort of mid-gauge the sort of lk150 you could and you have a lace weight and you've got two cakes you could knit them together wow absolutely fine yeah you can also double up thread on here so uh, if you have very thin yarns you thread them through together and you can knit them together so that's totally possible Cool. Uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask Mika about troubleshooting and the kind of things that uh, machine knitters and certainly 
anybody new to machine knitting might need to know or might need to look for uh, when it comes to solving problems. Mika has also created a really helpful resource list to accompany this episode and you can find that in the show notes at www.knitbritish.net slash ep hyphen one one one. So I think the problem starts really when you get stuck and you haven't got any help. Yeah. And I think going back to learn the basics from somebody who knows what they're talking about rather than me sitting at home alone frustrated with really ancient YouTube videos. There are some really good resources online. Um, There's a lady called Diane Sullivan. She's based in Austin, Texas, and she's been making videos since the internet was invented, I think. She's really knowledgeable. The videos are varying audio and visual quality. However, she really knows what she's talking about. And... I learned lots from her videos. So she's really good. So anybody looking up machine knitting and Diane Sullivan will stumble across her eventually. Yeah. She really has some really well-labeled sequences of tutorials as well. So um, that's great. But mm. really in terms of getting stuck when things go wrong, it really is useful to join a Facebook group. I know not, it's not everybody's cup of tea, However, the groups there are very sociable. They are, you can quickly post a picture. There are an awful lot of very helpful people. And again, the Ravelry group. Yeah. There are a number of um, times where I got completely stuck. I didn't understand why something wasn't working. I posted a picture. Five people jumped in and said, try this, try this, try this. And the first suggestion worked and my problem was solved. So Quickly. I didn't need to, to get somebody here. But I think what really is interesting if you sort of uh, if you have maybe other people in your circle of friends to also start so I've encouraged a number of people yes uh, sort of enabled them with either passing on a machine or spending some time with them with their machines and having a look at it and you start to develop if you start to develop skills within your obviously that's the ultimate hope like any hunter you just ask a friend yeah oh you did that this is great let me try this so but obviously I appreciate that most people probably won't have the luxury of having a machine knitting savvy friend, friend. Mm-hmm. so you have to you rely on online stuff but yeah, yeah Ravelry the machine knitting group and look for Facebook groups there are a lot of groups and there are many groups specific to machines as well and and different brands yeah so it's definitely worth taking a picture posting it and saying this is what I'm doing I'm stuck what am I doing mm. wrong give me some help and people come up with suggestions so yeah, and don't despair, just hang in there because yeah. it will pay off. All the frustration, and there will be frustration for anybody starting with this, it will pay off. When you have these successes where you've made your first successful rectangle that turns into a cowl and it's got a pattern in it, you're going to be so delighted, yeah. you won't be able to shut up about it. <laughs> that's, that's where I was at, you know. I will tell everybody who will listen that machine knitting is a great hobby and it's you can have so many you have so many opportunities yeah. with it and it's just great fun. I think you've, since you did that course last year, that's when you've become most sort of vocal and, and excited about yeah. machine knitting and I, sort I of... I have. It's sort of... But you know what? It did confirm that I actually reached a level of my learning where, where I now I feel confident going it alone. Mm-hmm. I can now explore new techniques on my own with confidence, knowing that... I can always fall back confidently to a basic 
a level of knitting that works for me. And I sort of almost like exp I'm exploring these little rabbit holes. And every now and again, I get stuck and I hate it and I vow never to go near it again. But then, you know, you think, oh, actually, maybe I'm going to try again, see how it works out. And there's so much to explore. So, but you need to get over this initial hump. Just, yeah, keep persevering. Yeah. Keep and remember how hard it was to learn how to knit lace hand yes. knitting or cables hand knitting. Absolutely. Or put yourself back in those. Because it's easy, once you do know those things, it's easy to forget how difficult it was to get over those initial humps and hand knitting. Like the first time you grafted something together. Oh, yeah. You thought, oh, I'm not doing this pattern because... I don't want to do grafting or oh this got this has got a funny short row section in it I don't short know. rows yeah. yeah so it's it, what but once you understand the different types of short rows now it's easy you yeah, decide exactly or lace I can yeah. remember how many times I used to throw my lace knitting across the yeah. room because I couldn't make holes the way where they were supposed to be I yeah. make holes accidentally <laughs> but you know all of that kind of stuff and how hard that is you know you have to sort of remember that we all start somewhere yeah. And absolutely and I think the, the hardest part about this is that you cannot stick your machine in your bag go to the pub have a drink with your other machine ding friends and say look at this horrible machine how does it work <laughs> whereas with your hand knitting you can do exactly that yeah. you know you can just moan to other people and show them whereas this really is a case of you are a bit calm you know it's, it's in your house you can't take it away do you think the so, so the social aspects of of machine knitting versus hand knitting obviously as you've just said there but um is there opportunity to be social i think really make sure you you look at online communities i mean i've been we've had a couple of sort of machine knitting nights here at my house with sort of friends and i hope to revive that but when we get together we tended to hand knit <laughs> because that's a social thing and yeah. then maybe say oh look what I've, what I've done on the machine there's a new technique I want to show you all but then it's back to let's have a glass of wine and do a hand knitting <laughs> so it is quite difficult to be sociable with yeah. it and that's why machine knitting is so different is look at it in terms of sewing you don't just stick your sewing your dressmaking in the bag and go no. to the pub and finish it there no because you need a sewing machine and it's something you do on your own so yeah the social aspect is vastly different and you know that's something i guess that might put people off as well mm -hmm. because with the lack of social interaction comes the lack of readily available help you've got to seek more active help mm -hmm. because you're not sitting together and coming across an issue and then asking somebody you're on your own you make you come across an issue and then you have to formulate yeah. this and describe it to somebody and find help it's good though i think you know 21st century machine knitters are in a much better position than 20th century machine knitters where especially when i think about machine knitters in shetland and how we talked about earlier which wasn't recorded but how um, some pe some people in Shetland didn't like the machine and I wonder if a lot of that is because when you are learning to use it back then there wasn't a lot of assistance perhaps there was nobody to ask and now you could just jump on Ravelry or Facebook and, yeah. and as you say put up a picture and go how do I sort this out help yeah, exactly. and you've got that straight but away but I also think we as modern people now as a ge generation of sort of 
humans. Mm -hmm. We've lost the ability and the patience to read through instructions. Yes. And that's, it's like with dressmaking. Remember our mother's generation, they would get a textbook. Yep. It would describe what you do and maybe have, if you're lucky, a simple schematic of a skirt and it would instruct you in a written word what to do. And a lot of people now get scared if there are no pictures. Yeah. And we, I think that's the the biggest problem. I'm looking at all the sort of 70s and 80s books I've got flying around. Lots of them are very descriptive, but not a lot of pictures. They just say, do this, do this, do this, do this, and your outcome should be X. And there's not sort of safety, uh, uh, you know, net to say, oh, and it should look this, like this along the way. Yes. So you really have to read a lot and you you learn more self-reliance I think yeah with machine knitting because it's like detective work you sort of find something out but as frustrating as some of the things can be the wins are just so sweet because you think oh I figured this out and nobody helped me I found something on the internet and yeah somebody maybe helped me along with getting me in the right direction but I had to fix this and it gives you a real sense of achievement and it gives you confidence that next time something happens it's not insurmountable you will be able to find help but you need to dig a little bit deeper so in terms of your experience so you say you started three years ago but you know a year ago you did this course what is next do you see the potential for there will always be more or do you think you'll hit the same stage you did with hand knitting where you go what what other craft can i do now because i've no i don't think so i think first of all i think it's fair to say that the fact that it took me such a long time to get to where I am is entirely my own fault. And it's due to um, not seeking help online earlier and also not dedicating as much time as I did in recent uh, in recent times. Not having a nook. Correct. Not having a nook <laughs> and not sort of always dabbling a little bit, you know, not approaching the thing with a little bit of a method. So I know that... Uh, I'm really, really happy that just like, you know how you're really happy when you create a new hand knitter, you yeah. made a new knitter. Yeah. Uh, there are a number of people in my circle of friends who I was able to pass on my failings and said, look, this is what helped me back. Don't do this because it's going to frustrate you. Make this choice and it's going to make you happy. And once you did that, let's move on. And I felt like, one particular friend uh, got a machine from me and I gave her three hours of my time just to explain the whole thing from scratch and I packed into three hours all the knowledge I had accumulated over a year probably and just in terms of just don't even go there don't do this don't do there were just as many don'ts as there were look this is what you can do and it, the, the result is now that she makes all her sweater bodies on, on this machine and she can use the ripper. And she had the starting off point that I only got after I'd completed this actual course. And I feel like there's it really doesn't take as long to learn this stuff. I know we make this all sound very complicated. It's not. This is just my learning experience. Yeah. You can learn this fairly quickly if you have the right help. So one of the biggest things I would recommend is dig around in your local area if there is a course and you're really passionate about wanting to learn this do it it's going to be a great investment of time and money because it's going to pay back Mm -hmm. and save so much frustration or if you have a friend ask them you know will you sit with me will you show me how this works 
because it's just great once you get up and running. So really, three years is just me dabbling yeah. around and, you know, not really seeking the right help, I guess. But it's good, you know, being able to talk about it and say, you know, talk about your experience and, you know, encourage others to, to seek yeah. the other route that you wish you It to. really is easy. I mean, Joe got also bought this machine and... Uh, this is the Edinburgh Art Festival, Joe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. This is my business partner. And she got this machine. And I think she made four or five jumpers on this already. And really starting from zero. Yeah. I mean, she did the course that on the on the domestic machine with me last year in Gala Shields. And we had a great time doing that. But she got this machine just because she's got a massive stash of DK Yan. And she really yeah. enjoys it. So, again, and she... She, when she started with machine knitting, I was already well down the rabbit hole and I yeah. loved it, but I wasn't really getting anywhere. Yeah. So where she, we, we did this course together. I kept on chewing a year off about it. She got the right machine and she's just up and running. So it's all about hooking up with the right people. Yeah. Doing the right thing and, and seeking some help and just not being shy of asking somebody, you know, who, <coughs> who can do it to spend some time with yeah. you. And it will, it will work. And because you're so enthusiastic about it and it really, really lights you up, what is your future with machine knitting? Well, I really think what would you you started to talk, talk about earlier, I would love a future where we have a really nice, really nice knitting machine patterns again, where there are more publications, where there's more interest in it on social media, where there are modern patterns, where there are new and exciting courses, people showing you how to do stuff and where, you know, machines are developed and enhanced and improved and maybe prices come down a little bit and there are multiple models and that's like, but what I would really like to do is um, maybe do some simple patterns, but really accessible and easy yeah. because this is exactly what I'm missing. I've got lots of patterns with elaborate jumpers and really things that scared me I opened books and I thought I can't follow this even though I've got the basics it's just you know I want maybe something put something together that makes it easy for people to have like these little successes early on when they start off with it and make some really nice projects and that are well described and sort of things that are because we we live now in an age where we have have so many beautiful hand-knitting patterns so well tech edited so well presented, so beautifully photographed, and they talk you through everything. And you really feel like you bought a pattern from somebody, from a designer who's serious about what they do, and it's a gift because you learn something new along the way, you have a beautiful end result. And I would hope that maybe I can play a little role in doing something like that for machine knitting, where at some point patterns are available that, you know, where people say, oh, this looks great. I yeah. want to do this pattern, I want to make this, and it's going to help me learn what I can do with my machine and at the end of it I'm going to walk away with a beautiful item and I learned something and it makes the whole thing fun yeah so I think that's where I see that I would I would love to go in that direction and I think that's and I think that's the thing I think that's what what I would want if I was going to be learning to use a machine I don't want to open a book and make the most elaborate sweater I want um a, you know to know what shapes I can achieve uh, uh, on a machine and how to make something simply and get to know what my machine can do rather than um, you know as you say a lot of people go oh, I want to make a fair all over a fair straight yeah. away yeah, I, yeah it's, it's how you work up to 
through your skills yeah, exactly how you can stack it up and yeah also have but have achievable projects yeah that make the whole thing worthwhile yeah things you're going to come back to again and again and again so yeah. i think that would be fantastic It'd be really lovely oh thank you very much that's awesome that's so incredibly interesting and i think as i say i think a lot of people will now be going hmm yeah, <laughs> maybe i'll just google <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode and thank you so much to mika uh, for uh, being so generous with her time uh, to talk about machine knitting and i really hope uh, that there are some of you out there now who are going hmm i need to pursue this research a little further and as i say there are fantastic links that mika has created over in the show notes if you wish to follow mika um you can follow her on instagram and twitter uh, under edinyarnfest.com but she's also on instagram uh on her own account which is yarn pony and um, you will be able to see some of her um, machine knitting as well as hand knitting and sewing uh, on that account again thank you so much to mika i will be back in december with wool exploration with manx and we'll have a little bit of a catch up then until then take very good care bye for now Thanks for listening to the Knit British podcast. To find out more, visit www.knitbritish.net. I'm on Instagram as at underscore knitbritish and I'm on Ravelry as Lyra. Why not join us in the Knit British Ravelry group too? But you have to talk into the mind first.